Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians 2. We're going to be in verses 16 through 23 today. We're going to be going through, continuing to go through Colossians. And it's important, this is one of those times where it's so important that you pay attention uh, to what comes before in a passage. You ever went to a movie, you've been watching a TV show, and you go to the bathroom at the wrong time? You go, um, and, and you come back, and you're like, what did I miss? What is going on right now? Who is this person? Why are they yelling at this person? What's going on? I'm so lost. You ever had that experience? Uh, or maybe you're watching a TV show on, on, on TV, and you, maybe you missed an episode or two, and you didn't realize it, and you're like, something, I missed something pretty big. Okay, so this is a situation where what we're talking about deals very directly with what we talked about last week. But if you just pick up the Bible and you turn to this verse, you see a heading. It says, let no one disqualify you. And it's easy to say, well, this must be the start of a new thought. And it is in, in many ways, but it continues on. right? So uh, the word therefore, you've always heard it said, if you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what is it there for? So you have to look at what came before it. So last week, let me just do a, a brief synopsis and then we'll get into our, our passage. Last week... Paul was talking about that, that they did not need the, the old covenant, the, the circumcision of the old covenant, because God and Christ had created this new covenant and he has circumcised their hearts. That they have been, um, that he made, them, made us alive together, canceled our debt in Christ. So, what God had done before with Abraham, the promise of the old covenant, sealed by circumcision, God has created a new covenant but with the blood of Christ, that the sign is baptism. And so that is what he's talking about. So therefore, that's where we pick up. We're talking about the distinction between the old and the new covenant. Because remember, the Colossians are a Gentile church predominantly. There might be some Jewish believers. There's probably certainly some Jewish people in the city. But they are Gentile Christians. They don't come from a Jewish background. They don't have this, the same the same culture that they're coming from. And so here's what he's talking to them about. Let's read this and then we're going to get into it. But I want to, this is a, I think a simple truth that is one of those that can be hard to navigate and applying correctly to our lives. So let's have grace with one another, grace as, for ourselves as we go through this. And please give me grace. There's going to be a lot of scripture that we're going to go through because I think it's important to see how it all works together. Let's, let's read. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you as insisting on asceticism, asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which whom the body... The whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together. We can look at your word. 
and that we can see what it says to us this morning, that we can see how we can learn from what you were saying to the Colossians and we can see what you're saying to us today. God, I pray that you would convict each of us in our own lives where we're at about how we can follow you more faithfully today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, this is talking about the laws of man. This is the, the sermon today, the laws of man, and how that applies to our walk with God. So, the first thing we see in this passage is that tradition cannot save you. Tradition cannot save you. So again, this is a continuation of the previous passage arguing against the Judaizers. The people that were coming saying, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to be a Christian, you have to also do this, do this, do this. And those do thises, those things they were commanding them to do, were things that Jewish people had to do to uphold the law. They had to do these things to uphold the law. So in the previous passage, there were people in, in Galatians, we're going to get to Galatians in, in a small amount, but Galatians deals with this in a much more direct and concrete way. Where there were people, he, he directly says, listen, do not be circumcised because you're taking on the law. Don't think you have to fulfill the law to follow Christ because Christ fulfilled the law. So there is no judgment about keeping Jewish requirements any longer. Paul calls these things a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You ever seen a dog bark at a shadow? That's kind of what we do when we are, as Christians, applying the law to ourselves. Or if, if we seek to, or if someone seeks to apply the law to you, we're looking at a shadow when the substance is right there. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. The law was fulfilled by Christ and we are not subject to it any longer. We are subject to the law of Christ. And this is where it comes to the giving me grace as we walk through this. Because I want you to hear clearly what I'm saying as we go through. So how does the Christian and the law work? How does it work to be a Christian? And what regard does the law have for us? You may have had people have arguments like this. Well, you say you're a Christian, but I bet you still eat pork, don't you? Anybody here like pulled pork? I like pulled pork. Anybody here like bacon? I like bacon. Okay? What does the, what does the book of the law say? Don't eat those things. They say, you, you say you're a Christian, I bet you look at your shirt, it has mixed cloth, doesn't it? And so there are people, usually these are people who do not believe in God, accusing Christians of not upholding God's law. And in a way, they're right. But Christians are not under the law. The law has been fulfilled by Christ. We are not under the law, but under grace. So we're going to look to Galatians to get a little bit more depth on this. Paul is discussing the same issue of people seeking to put regulations onto Christians that are not to be placed on a Christian. So Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I, I left it down here. i got to go get it. But I had Jada bring me this because I, I forgot it at home, and she brought it, and then I forgot it down here. So this right here I have is a weight vest, okay? And so sometimes if I go on a walk or something to make it just a little harder, I'll put this on, okay? And I had one person come up to me because you can see it. They, they came, came up to me and said, is that a bulletproof vest? And this was right after some things that happened. I was like, they're like, are you scared to be walking around in this neighborhood? Is this a bad neighborhood? And I said, if I was scared to be walking around, why would I be walking around? I don't, what, what is this going to do? Anyway, it's not fun <laughs> to carry it around, okay? 
And at first, maybe you don't notice it, but it, it wears on you. It makes everything harder that you do. And so what he's saying, for freedom, Christ has set us free. If you're walking around with this, you take it off, it feels a little bit better. It's a little easier to do all the things you were doing. I tell you, especially doing yard work in this thing, bending over, coming back up, it's a lot harder when you do that. So here's what he says here. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the law was a burden placed upon us. The law was a way that if we kept it, we might be saved. But what is the Bible clear on? By the works of the law, no one will be saved. No one will be called righteous. Why? We cannot keep it. There is not a person outside of Christ that has kept the law. And so Christ fulfilled the law and so removed that burden of keeping it and upholding it from us. Because we couldn't do it. He did it in our place. So we've been set free from that. So he says, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't put that back on you, thinking that you have to earn your salvation, thinking that you have to work to keep your salvation. Galatians 5.13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there are two things that we've been set free from, two burdens that God has lifted from us in Christ. He's lifted the burden of keeping the law off of us because we can't do it. But also when we see the law, when we see these commandments that God has given, what are we aware of? Our sin. When we see, man, we, we, we had some fun with this in, in, in Sunday school. And we see the, the lesson about how Moses goes and he has this great mountaintop experience where he goes and he's with God. And he gets the Ten Commandments and he, and the, and he maybe even, you know, maybe he's thinking about him as he comes down from the mountain. The first one, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And he comes down and he's like, man, this is great. The people are going to love this. We get to know God's will for us. And he comes down and he sees a golden calf being worshipped by God's people. And he throws down the tent. You couldn't even follow the one, the first rule. And so we look at our lives. And when we see the law, and Paul talks about this extensively, Christ does this in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look lustfully upon a woman. You said, don't commit murder. I say, if you even hate your brother, you're guilty of sin. When we look at the law, we look at our lives, what do we see? Sin. And so we see our inability to keep the law, and we see that we cannot keep it and earn our salvation and so christ has lifted that from us and taken it upon himself he took the punishment for our sin and the burden of upholding the law but you've been set free but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh so what does that mean you are not capable of losing your salvation of of out sinning the grace of God. But here's the thing. If you have experienced the grace of God, what are you not going to want to do anymore? Keep sinning. In, in Romans, he talks about that. You have been set free. Why are you putting that back on? You've been set free from sin. Why are you putting that weight back on? Don't pick those chains back up after you've been set free from them. And so we are not under the law, but under grace, but under the grace to please God. So going on, we're just skipping some verses in Galatians. Galatians 5, 6. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you've been saved, and you've been set free from the law, set free from the bondage of sin, you're now to walk in accordance with Christ, walk in accordance with the Spirit in your life, and you will not what? Gratify the desires of 
the flesh. I think one of the best explanations of this is how Paul explains it and what he does to preach the gospel. He's talking to the Corinthians of this idea of being free, but also bound, but in a different way. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 9, 19-21. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He's talking about preaching the gospel here. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being, under, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became out, as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might not win those, that I might win those outside of the law. So what does this mean? What does all of these in the law, under the law? Not? Here's what it means. You are not responsible for your salvation in upholding the law. Because Christ did that for you. Because you couldn't. But you are not under the law that, that Paul calls the law of sin and death. Why does he call that? Not because it's evil, because it reveals sin in us and makes us realize the death we deserve because of our sin. But we are now not under that law. We are under the law of Christ to seek Him and to please Him. And so what Paul's saying here is, you know what, when I go around somebody, a Jewish person, and, and they think, you know, if there's food not sacrificed, if there's food sacrificed to idols, I can't eat it. If that's what they think, I'm not going to eat it because I want to be able to talk to them. I don't want them to be so caught up on what I'm eating that they won't hear the message of the gospel. And when I go to somebody's house and they're, they're a Gentile, they don't have any care. They, they just, they, they're serving me some food that just got s- sacrificed to a, a, an idol. You know what? That idol's nothing. It doesn't exist. I know it's not real. So I'm going to eat that food with a clear conscience so I can talk to them. And they're not going to be so caught up on why I rejected their food. Because upholding those parts of the law is not what I have to do anymore. Christ has bought, purchased me by His blood. And so I'm free. Not free to indulge my flesh. Free to serve God. And so as we live our lives, that is the answer to why we don't do those things. We see this. So, But in many ways, our commission to live under the law of Christ is still a great command. The the, the beauty is that we are not obligated to earn anything. Our salvation is not dependent on how well we do. But we see what this law of Christ looks like. Matthew 22, 36-40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The law of Christ is still concerned with loving God and loving people. It is the restrictions that man was seeking to place on these Christians that Paul has a concern with. We see in 1 Peter 13-16, through 16, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's what you've been set free from. But as, one who is call, but as the one who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what is our commission? What is what we are seeking to follow as Christians? Love God, love people, be holy, because God is holy. That's a lot. 
We can't do it, but grace be to God, praise be to God that we, even though we can't do it, He loves us. But that's our goal. That's what we're pursuing in our life. It is not that the law was bad, but it is not a means by which you can be saved. The Old Testament has tremendous value. The moral commands there are still valuable for training in righteousness. As you're going to see in the coming weeks, a lot of the things you see commanded there are re-emphasized in the New Testament because please, loving God and loving people hasn't changed. It's the obligation to fulfill the law that we no longer have to do. For people, the law condemns us because we can't keep it. Christ has fulfilled the law and has made a way of salvation for those who cannot keep it. Our salvation has been secured. We have no part in earning or keeping our salvation. But we do have an obligation to live as obedient sons and daughters of the God who loved us enough to save us. And in this passage, so that's the first part, tradition cannot save you. But in this passage, there appears not just those who are seeking to apply tradition, old law restrictions on the the, the new Christians and, and Colossians, we see also people who are making new rules to hold them in and in, in keep them in. So man-made rules also cannot save you. Man-made rules cannot save you. So what do we see here man, for what man-made rules? It talks about asceticism and worship of angels. Okay? Asceticism is this idea of the utter hum- humiliation of oneself. Of Making things harder on yourself as though to atone for what you've done. I want you to, I don't know if you've ever seen, there was a, um, it was a movie, it was on Netflix at one point, I don't know if it's still there, but it's about Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And before Martin Luther had that moment where he realized these things that he had issues with, he realized what it meant to truly follow God. He had the five solos, all these things. Before that happened, when he was a, a monk living in a monastery, he was one of the most ascetic people you'll ever find. He would have confession multiple, multiple times a day because he realized his sinfulness. He would go and he would beat himself. He would fast because he felt like he needed to do something to earn God's favor, to atone for his sins. So this is the kind of thing that Paul is saying, don't let these people tell you that, that you have to be ascetic. You have to just hurt yourself. You have to fast in this way. You have to atone for something in your life. He talks about other people that, had, that, that claim to have visions of angels and, and how they should worship angels in this way or worship something else. He said these are things that are prideful instructions that focus people on the person rather than on God. That's what he's saying here is that, that when people have these commands, when they talk about this, uh, this stuff, it says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. What does that mean? It is saying that there are people that will tell you, do this, do this, you, stay away from this, do this thing. Maybe not out of tradition, but out of a man-made rule. And they're doing that from their own thinking. They are doing that in a way that points glory to themselves rather than to God. Not connected to the head, doing it in a way that, that points people to themselves. We see a similar thing, and it's called chumra in, in Judaism. And you've heard of it, hedges around the law. Especially the Pharisees at that time, they would put a hedge around the law. And it comes from a verse in Deuteronomy 22.8. When you build a new house, you shall make a para, parapet for your roof, a fence for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt upon your house if anyone should fall from it. It's this idea that, hey, 
Clearly, you shouldn't jump off the roof. You shouldn't walk off the roof. That's not very safe. But you've got to put, put a fence there so no one does. And so people took this and applied it to the law, right? There were rules in particular about, like on the Sabbath, even today, particularly practicing Jews would say, on the Sabbath, you can't take more than this many steps or else you might venture into working on the Sabbath. And so they would put a restriction beyond the restriction to keep themselves from sinning. And I think in a, in a similar spirit, this is what these people might be doing. So how does this apply to us today? Right? The Colossians were dealing with these particular issues in their context. People were coming to them saying these things. Paul is rebutting these things, telling them what the truth is. So how does this apply to us today? We must seek biblical faithfulness. In Sunday school, we talked about how will you know if something is from God? Is it lined up with what God has revealed to us about Himself? Is it in line with the character of God? If you have someone to give you advice, maybe you go to church with them, someone has wronged you, you say, well, you can't, forg- you can't forgive them for that. That's unforgivable. Is that advice from God or is it not from God? It's very clear. God tells us to what? Forgive as you've been forgiven. So if someone's coming to you and says, you better not forgive that person, is that from God? No. no. And you have to reject it. So we need to seek biblical faithfulness. If we see people saying, hey, I think this is what we ought to do, is it faithful to what the Bible tells us? Is it faithful to what commands we see in Scripture that show us how we can live under the law of Christ, how we can love God, love people, and be holy as He is holy? We must guard against good ideas being taught as commands of God. There's a lot of good ideas that can exist, right? There's a lot of good ideas that can exist in the world. But if they are not scriptural commands, we can't teach them as though they are. So some examples, you know, we we were talking as, as we worship, some churches raise their hands. Some people get a lot more expressive in how they worship. Some churches are very traditional and and sing older hymns. Some churches are sing more contemporary music. There becomes a problem when you look at someone that's different and you say, they're not, they're not worshiping God, right? As though we have some special revelation as how God wants to be worshiped. Now, clearly, there are, are clear boundaries to that. There are things that are not worshipful that you can't do. If you're doing things that are sinful and claiming it's worship, that doesn't make any sense. But if someone is, you, you can't look at someone raising their hands and say, they're, I don't think they're worshiping right. In the same way, that person raising their hands can't look and say, well, they're not worshiping, they're not raising their hands. We can't put commands on things that are good ideas. The day you worship, There's a lot of churches now that might have a worship service Saturday night and a couple on Sunday morning. Is there this? I've never been to a church that had a 1045 service. It was always 11 where I came from. Does it matter when? No. No. We must make sure that those things don't become the order of service. Well, what happens if we have two songs in a prayer or three songs in a prayer? What happens if we don't do a prayer at that place anymore? I'm saying these things because these are things that people might be bothered by at times. And we're going to get a little, I'm going deeper. Listen, I want you to, again, give me grace in this. I grew up in a dry county. Okay? Even still, the county is dry, the city's not. There is nothing in, in Scripture that says that 
drinking alcohol in and of itself is sinful. Drunkenness is. Is it a good idea to abstain from alcohol? Absolutely. Guess what you can't do if you don't drink it? You can't get drunk. That's a good way to avoid it. But here's where the problem comes in. Somebody becomes a new believer. They've lived their whole life, never knew an issue of it, and they want to follow God. And you start telling people things that aren't biblical as commandments. And they come ask you, well, if I have one drink and it it doesn't do anything to my mental ability at home, is that wrong? You have to be biblical. And if they ask me, I'll say, I think it's a good idea. I choose to abstain because here's, here's why. But biblically, you can't call something a sin that's not. We have to be careful about that. Because I want you to think about the other ways this could be distorted. What are some things that are sinful we don't take that much of an approach with? Gluttony. Can't have any sweets. Because you might, be, you might be gluttonous if you eat too many sweets. So you can't eat any. Oh, you can't go out to eat because if you go out to eat, they'll give you bigger portions. You need to go home where you can control your portions. Make sure you're not being gluttonous. What about gossip? You better not use Facebook because you're going to be prone to fall into gossip. Better yet, don't even use the internet. Falling into temptation. You better remove yourself from anyone in the world that's doing anything sinful because you might be tempted to sin as well and only associate with real Christians. Here's what I want you to understand. We have to be careful because those things sound silly. We have to be careful to make sure that anything that we make as a rule is a rule that God expects of us. And that we work and bear with one another in grace and truth. Because that's the next thing. We have to make sure it's biblical. We have to make sure we don't make good ideas and commands of God unless they actually are. But we bear with one another. So I'm going to read this passage to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge... This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. It's important to know. If you think you know something, you don't know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are things and for, thi- for, for whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble." So what, how does this, what does this mean how does it apply? When we have this freedom in Christ, our freedom 
should only be freedom to the point it doesn't cause others to stumble. So he's talking about this, this deal with idols. There might be a person who is a pagan that they have believed their whole life that if they eat this food sacrificed to an idol, it's really food that is sacrificed to an idol. Should they eat? No. Because they are convinced that it is food sacrificed to an idol. And so if you're with that person, though you don't have any qualms about it, should you eat? No. Because you are, leading, you are causing a problem for that person. Here is how I want to carry this through. Is it a sin for a person to have alcohol if they're not getting drunk? Biblically, I would argue no. If that person is with a, a person who is an alcoholic, a former alcoholic, should they have a drink? Absolutely not. Because that person might be encouraged to do so. And so our freedom should not cause others to stumble. Our freedom should be for building up the body of Christ. And that's where we must have grace with one another. When we don't agree, when we mess up, we must have grace with one another. We are going to make mistakes. mistakes. Other people are going to get it wrong. And we're going to get it wrong. It's easy to acknowledge the first part. Other people mess up all the time. I don't very often, but other people do. No, we all mess up. And what happens? When we mess up, what do we want? It's all right. You'll get it next time, right? That's what we want. And so what should we also do? We're going to bear with one another, have grace with one another through our disagreements, through our pursuit of what it looks like to be holy in Christ. Because here's the thing. Praise be to God that we don't have to get it right. Because if it depended on us getting it right, we would still have to uphold the law and we'd still all be condemned because we can't. I saw in, you ever, you ever have a, a, you know what clickbait is? You're on Facebook or something and you see a, an article title or something that seems really interesting. It makes you want to click on it. Half the time you click on it has nothing to do with what it just said. You won't believe what this politician just did. And then it's that they like, Went to McDonald's and had a McFlurry. It's nothing that's important, right? I saw, I saw a title of a video. 58-year-old atheist turns Christian after trying to prove religion is a conspiracy. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's Lee Strobel. Right? He wrote the, the Case for Christ. Very similar story. This guy, he was, he was in an interview, and, and it was a platform had tons of people watching it. He had an interview, and he's talking to this person. He went into researching Christianity to prove that it was all just a big hoax. And he became a believer. And this person who is not a Christian that's interviewing him asked him, says, so what do, you think, who, what do you think Jesus' role was? Who do you think he was? And here was his answer. He said, he was literally the Son of God. Because that is what we have to get. That is the important part. That's why we have grace with one another. Because here's the deal. In the rest of this explanation, this guy's a new believer. As he's explaining what he believes, there are some words that came out that I wouldn't say. But you know what I'm going to have? Some grace for that guy. That as he pursues holiness in, in, in following Christ, that he's going to figure out what it means to have pureness of speech. Right? Because there's words in other languages that if they were said, and you heard them, you might think they're saying an English cuss word. They're just talking a different language. Pureness of speech. He has to learn. We have to bear with one another. Have grace for one another. Because what, we, what this man understood is the truth we need to hold on to today. Only Jesus can save you. Tradition cannot save you. Man-made rules cannot save you. 
And if you've, only, if you've only heard one thing I've said today, if you've tuned me out from the beginning, please listen. If you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this. Only Jesus can save you. John 8, 34-36. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you all, you will be free indeed. So what does that mean? That means that every person that lives is walking around carrying the burden, the the, the chains, the shackles of their sin, weighing them down. And and because of that, they can't free themselves from it. They can't take it off. They can't pay for their sins. And the Bible is clear that the punishment for our sin is death, is, is punishment, separation from God. And we are all slaves to sin in need of a Savior. This is what the, the law reveals to us, that if we, keep, if we try to uphold it, if we try to follow the law, we realize we fall short. And we talked about, I think it was last week, that most people think going to heaven means you're a good person. But if, we, if our standard of a good person is f- keeping the fullness of God's law, we all fail. And so we need a Savior. God loved us so much that He gave us His Son, so that we could be free. Right? Who the Son sets free will be free indeed. This is Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, laying Himself down for us. The Son of God dying so that we might die to our former life and then be raised to new life with Him because of what He has done for us. This freedom means that we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to having to uphold the law on our own, but that we've been forgiven and we can live eternally with Him. To follow Him. Our freedom isn't free. Never is. But this freedom was bought with the blood of Christ. Paying for your sins. And this freedom is available to anyone who believes. And so today, we're going to have a time of invitation. And just like before, there's no right way to do an invitation. You're not, you, no one should judge you if you come to the altar, if you come for prayer. No one should judge you if you stay in your seat. But what I want to invite you to do is to see what God is calling you to do in your life. Are you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you acknowledged the sin in your life? Have you asked Him? Have you cried out said, Lord, I am a sinner? Save me from my sin. I want you to forgive me, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Have you done that? If you've done that, have you made that public knowledge? The Bible talks about how we should follow and be obedient in baptism. Have you done that? Have you been set free from those things yet you still live under them? Seeking to earn your salvation, seeking to keep your salvation through your own efforts? Or are you seeking to follow Christ in obedience to be holy as He is holy, to love Him, to love your neighbor? Are you being faithful in sharing this good news with those around you? Wherever you are today, there is a place where God can convict you in your life if you're being honest with yourself. And I would pray that we have this time of invitation that I would invite you to move as God leads you. Whether it's to come in to pray, whether it's to stay in to pray, whether it's to pray with one beside you or across the sanctuary. 
That revival that we saw happened because worship ended, but the people weren't done worshiping. And so they stayed. And revival happens in our lives when God tells us to move and we move. This isn't the prelude to the end of the service. This is God meeting with you to challenge you on how you're going to live as you go from here. So how would God be asking you to move this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. We thank You for this time that we can gather together. And Lord, I pray that You would convict us. Lord, that wherever we are, whatever sin we might have, whatever ways we need to be more obedient, that we would be willing to do so today. And God, I pray that if anyone does not know You, that today would be the day they would come forward and acknowledge You as Lord. They would come forward and ask for Your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that anyone, if they know where You're calling them to go, would be obedient in following, to serving how You want them to serve, to to sharing how You want them to share. God, I pray that You would move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.